All right, so today is uh, Saturday, the 23rd of January, 2001. And uh, it's about, uh, I think it's about 5.30 uh, in the afternoon. The sun's going down. This clock could be wrong, too. It could be actually 6.30. Yeah, nice blue haze out there. Nice, uh, cool day. It was about, uh, I think about minus, I'm going to guess, 5 or 6. But uh, not a lot of wind, which uh, is nice for around here because it gets windy quite a bit. Anyways, uh, this will be my first serious uh, attempt at uh, at podcasting here. And so I'm I'm actually flying by the seat of my pants. I'm not a public speaker. Uh, I didn't take uh, radio broadcasting in school. Uh, I'm just somebody that... Uh, uh, wants to uh, communicate with the brothers. And so that, that's actually who this uh, podcast is made for, is it's made for the brothers. Uh, the ones that uh, take Jesus seriously and they take the scripture seriously. And so uh, because uh, you know what? A number of them have uh, asked me some good questions. Like for example, could COVID be the wrath of Christ? And so, uh, so I said, well, uh, there's that verse in Leviticus uh, 26, I think it is, where it says, when you are gathered in your cities, I will send the pestilence. And so, so if, if, if this is the wrath of Christ, then we know what comes next, right? Uh, because the next thing to come is, uh, I will break your staff of bread. And so, uh, so that's economic ruin, right? Or hard times, maybe not ruined, but something awfully close to it. And we know what comes after that, right? Uh, I will draw a sword out after you, and it shall avenge the quarrel of the covenant. And so, uh, so if this is the wrath of Christ, and I'm not saying it is or it isn't right now, uh, that's something that uh, we can explore together, absolutely. Uh, and I think we should. But uh, I, I, I want to share with you, uh, and this is anecdotal, purely anecdotal, so uh, and I, I caution everybody, don't, uh, you know, don't bank on anecdotal uh, testimony because uh, uh, in the number of years that I have been on YouTube, I think I found one that I thought might be legitimate. I think the rest were all uh, sculpted, invented to uh, to uh, make somebody some good cash, right? Get a million hits if, uh, if the story is uh, conforms perfectly to this New Age uh, Christianity. Uh, yeah, you're going to get some good hits. And, uh, you know, the contributions are going to come in. So, uh, so one thing you can tell for sure is I'm not doing this for the money because I am very much opposed to this, uh, this New Age uh, Christianity. I am. And so uh, that's why I don't have any views. Right? <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not advertising on this site. I don't want it to be about the money or even to appear to be about the money. So, uh, so I'm not trying to uh, get a million hits. I'm not advertising anything. And I'm not asking for uh, contributions. Uh, 
So, uh, so, but anyways, uh, uh, some stories are uh, powerful enough that it sort of uh, behooves the listener to do a further investigation, and that's uh, that's about as far as any uh, testimony should ever take anybody. So, uh, because uh, you know what, you can go to the Bible, and there is hardcore evidence that. The people that wrote this were being honest. And so, uh, like if you look at the prophecies, uh, especially especially the prophecies of Isaiah 40, you can see that everything that Isaiah wrote was a timeline for God's people of all the major events from the, from the appearance of John the Baptist to uh, the second coming, when uh, God's people are given, God's people mount up like eagles, right? That's when we get our wings. So, so that's the second coming, right? So, so if you look at that timeline, you can see that Isaiah uh, never missed a single uh, major event that has affected God's people from the time of John the Baptist till today. So actually, you know what? I'm going to shift. Uh, I'm going to turn corners here, and I'm going to make this podcast about Isaiah 40. So, uh, but uh, and, and and that ties in with the story I was going to tell. So I'll, I'll still tell the story first. Is uh, I was uh, chatting with. Uh, I was actually sitting out on this uh, bench outside, over by the laundromat, and uh, this uh, Mennonite minister comes over, and uh, we start chatting. And uh, he was actually uh, inspired by some of the things that I said. Uh, for example, uh, I lodged a, a complaint with him, and I said, "You know, this uh, this new age of Christianity—they have it so that if you believe just a, you know, one, two, maybe three, maybe four, five facts about Jesus, you're in." And uh, he said, yeah, that's right, just a few facts about Jesus, and uh, which is not what is meant by believe in Jesus, right? To believe in Jesus means that everything that he taught in word and in deed is uh, being absorbed by you and changing you, and you're accepting it all as good for you, right? So that means uh, whatever Jesus said about how we should treat Poor, how we should treat our enemies, how we should uh, treat our own lives. All of that, uh, you have to accept it all, because if you're only going to accept a part of what he said and reject the less, the, 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 the other, if you reject the other, but you believe the things that you like, well, that's not believing in Jesus. That's cherry picking. That's what that is. And so uh, to believe in Jesus is actually comparable to a, a branch of a tree that's been grafted in, right? So if you graft in uh, a branch to a tree, uh, if that, gra- if that uh, uh, graft takes, right, uh, and then all, all that is going into that branch is, all that's going into that branch is coming from the tree. And for the purpose, ha ha ha, this is important, this is vital for the purpose of producing fruit. And so uh, so that's what it means to believe in Jesus. 
is uh, you are completely entwined with him in a very intimate uh, way. And so, uh, and everything that comes from him goes into you. And that means everything that he said, everything that he taught, right? When he said, think not that I have come to destroy the law. That should be part of uh, who you are. Whenever you hear uh, one of these slicksters talking about, oh, we're not under that old law anymore, that should bother you if you are in Christ, right? If you are grafted in. Don't think that, Jesus said, but they think it and they preach it. And you know what? There's a lot more money in that gospel than what there is in mine. There's a lot more money in that gospel than what there is in the original. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's a complaint that I lodge with this uh, Mennonite minister. And uh, he seemed to get what I was saying. And uh, so, so after he left, after our, our conversation was over, um, well, a number of things happened, but one of them was I had to I had to learn a little bit about Abino Simmons, and so when I checked out his uh, uh, when I when I googled him, uh, I came to what his definition of faith was, and uh, my jaw just dropped because it's uh, you know what I don't think that I could disagree with one word of what he said. It, it was all uh, yeah, that's it. Because uh, faith is something more than just uh, you believe uh, one, two, three, maybe four, maybe five facts about Jesus and you're in. Faith is much, much more than that. I, I know today uh, they use the word in such a way that it seems to be that their definition of faith is like a, it's like a, a, a tumor that grows in their mind of pure trust, right? Well, it's not a tumor of trust that grows in your mind. That's not what faith is. And so, uh, and actually that faith is not a perfect translation either. It's not a bad word, but uh, it's easier, it's a word that's easier to uh, to uh, twist its meaning. Because uh, the word pision or pistios or pistio uh is a is it like it's like a natural outgrowth of a plant that's been uh, uh, allowed to germinate and uh, is has been planted into ground that's been plowed up, right? That's the definition of faith. It's something that produces fruit. It's a natural product that comes from God, and uh, it depends on it receives nutrients from the rain and from the sun, from the soil. And uh, the natural product of that is fruit, and so uh, and so we need to understand what that fruit is, right? Because we're not actually we're not actually like peach trees, and we don't have uh, peaches hanging off of us. That's not the uh, that's not the way to tell if a person is really in Christ, is if they have a uh, you know a bunch of peaches or plums hanging off of their uh, arms and legs, and maybe maybe a, a uh, an apple hanging off an ear. That's it's an analogy, right? So, but the fruit is something that's good for others, right? And so, uh, uh, and the Bible's pretty explicit that that translates that fruit is uh, food for the hungry, it's the clothing for the naked, 
and it's shelter for the homeless, and it's it's especially especially ha ha ha, especially it's a better work for the marginalized workers. And uh, you know these uh, these uh, new age Christians today, they don't seem to be too worried about uh, you know their poor neighbor if he can't get a job. That doesn't seem to bother them very much. So. Uh, In fact, it seems to them that uh, the only thing that they have to do is to go around and talk, 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 when in fact just the opposite is uh, true, that Jesus expects us to go around and do, do, do. Because with Jesus, love is a verb, right? It's always a verb. And so uh, it's not a hallmark card for 250. It's a verb that uh, causes us to do what somebody in need needs us to do, unless, of course, unless, of course, they have uh, made it abundantly clear that they're not, uh, they're not Christ's brother at all, then sometimes, sometimes we have to stop with the, uh, with the help, that's right, there, there, there comes that point sometimes, where uh, somebody is uh, being a total ass, and uh, so you got to say, look, that's, the well has gone dry. But until until they made themselves abundantly clear, uh, we are on the side of mercy, right? So, oh, oh, here comes my buddy. I gotta pause this for a second. Oh, I guess that was a false alarm. So, anyways, uh, yeah, my mind hastened back after this uh, Mennonite minister left to uh, Edmonton of uh, early spring '08, just before I left for. Uh, for the Yukon, and uh, after a hard day at the camp, I would go to this uh, internet cafe uh, to check my emails and have a coffee, kick back, and so uh, uh, I happened to meet this uh, young guy, and he, it turned out he was a Mennonite runaway, and so uh, so we talked, and at, at that point in my life, I wasn't uh, dedicated to Christ. I was warming to him, you know, and I had good days and bad days, uh, but I wasn't uh, dedicated to Christ, so uh, I wasn't, uh, you, you might talk to me and not realize that I have any uh, uh, beliefs or uh, uh that I had done any investigation at all into who Jesus was, but uh, but I had, and uh, but I might not. You might not pick up on that. So. So, uh, anyways, uh, we talk a little bit, and uh, did, did I did I mention that he's a runaway Mennonite? Well, he's not runaway. Is probably not the right word, but he had left left the farm and uh, was in the city and uh, then I find out that he's, you know, he's selling shit to uh, subsidize his uh, his career and uh, I don't make any judgment calls, you know, I'm, I'm just, my head is sort of in uh, observation mode and uh, so uh, we talk some more and then I find out that uh, he's got a gay lover and uh that uh, set me back a bit because uh, the concept of gay and Mennonite just didn't seem to uh, fit together. And so uh, 
But again, I, I'm not making. I didn't make any judgment calls because I'm in observation mode. And so, uh, so we met a few times, and you know, we shared a coffee and uh, a cigarette outside, and uh, I just uh, moved on. And so, uh, but I always remembered uh, meeting this young guy, and when uh, when this uh, after this. Uh, Mennonite minister and I had had our conversation. I started to think about that, and uh, I started to think, you know what? I don't think that with the young lad in Edmonton that it's going to end well. I, I don't. I don't think it's going to be a story like the prodigal son eventually comes back. And you know what? You know what? I can say that because, uh, like Peter. Uh, I have uh, learned certain things that similar to what Peter learned, right? And uh, Jesus told Peter, uh, there's going to come a point, right, where what you uh, loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, uh, 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 Jesus wasn't saying we're going to make you God on earth, but that your understanding of human nature and uh, how some people cross that line from which they cannot get back, uh, how uh, how that happens. So that, you know what, like with Ananias and Sapphira, when they came to Peter, he knew it was over for them. And so, uh, remember, both Ananias and Sapphira died after their conversation with Peter. And so, uh, one of the reasons why Peter had this insight was because uh, he could compare... Uh, his failure to that of Judas. And the Judas couldn't come back. Judas didn't make it back. Judas hung himself. And that was the end of Judas. And uh, he's known by two of the other uh, disciples, apostles, as uh, the son of perdition. Whereas uh, Peter... I stuck a knife uh, in, in Christ's back, so to speak, figuratively speaking. Uh, and yet Peter was able to come, to make a comeback. And so uh, and so Peter understood the difference between him and Judas. And uh, when you do that, then you start to understand the difference between those that are like a prodigal son and, and will make it back and those that uh, they're just gone. They were never one of us. And so, uh, so there's so Peter was able to make that that distinction, and you know what? In some cases, I can make that same distinction. Not everybody I know or meet, I can tell instantly, but in time, I can tell some people that some people, uh, you know what? They might, and then some people I meet, and I'm like, no, it's over. Uh, the the uh, the hatred of God really is so deep with them that uh, and they're they're the way that they respond to the truth is such that uh, it, it will never be able to find a root in them and so it's over and so uh, so as I thought about this uh, young Mennonite lad I thought yeah it's uh, I don't think like I couldn't say for sure. But I don't think, I don't think it's uh, he's going to come back like the prodigal son. 
And one of the reasons why I said that was I could infer from the way his father had been that the father had not planted the seeds that needed to be there, that were there in the prodigal son. So, such that the, when the famine came and he had uh, squandered his, uh, his inheritance and the famine came and no man gave unto him, that he could come to a point where he said, I, I, will, I will arise and go to my father. And so uh, the reason the prodigal son could do that was because there had been seeds planted in him when he was, you know, young, by his father, and those seeds were now were now uh, were now starting to blossom, and so uh, so the prodigal son was able to make his way back to the father's house. But I thought with that uh, young Mennonite, I don't think so, no, no, and uh, so. Uh, So I did. I, I, I said a prayer on behalf of uh, concerned fathers everywhere that to take uh, the gospel seriously, take the scripture seriously, and take Jesus seriously. Because Christ did say quite a bit about uh, not everybody that calls him Lord, Lord is uh, going, to, uh, going to make it. And especially in the book of Revelation, we see that uh, uh, there's a lot of people that were like dogs and they went back to their vomit and uh, it's over for them. And so, uh, and uh, you know what, there's other places where, uh, especially especially when corrupt, corruption is rampant and, and it's coming to fruition, right? Uh, that's a time of a great apostasy. And so, uh, so Isaiah said, I will save you one to a city and two to a family. In other words, that's sort of the high and the low, right? Some places there'll be one person in a whole city, and that's it. Like Lot in Sodom, right? And so, uh, well, there was there was actually uh, three that that made it out. But there's going to be places where uh, it'll be just one, just one makes it out of the city. And uh, and then the uh, the best that you can hope for is two to a family at times of a great corruption. And so, uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I want to talk about this uh, seriousness of, uh, of the situation that we're in, the seriousness of salvation, and the seriousness of uh, keeping our relationship with Jesus uh, strong and healthy. So, uh, so as I thought about this young lad, I thought, uh, you know, yeah, I just, uh, I don't think it's going to end well. And so, uh, so I said a prayer, said a prayer for concerned fathers everywhere. And it was, uh, I got an answer to that prayer. Yes, I did. It was, uh, it was a miracle, really. Uh, uh, well, what happened was, uh, I met this uh, interesting guy. Uh, he was a little bit different. He uh, was sure that the earth was flat, and um, he had a, he had a lot of uh, attributes that you know that uh, he was a likable guy in some ways. But uh, he just you know had some uh, uh, kooky ideas, and so uh, so 
So uh, he uses Isaiah 40, 22, to support this idea that, that, the, uh, that the earth is flat actually comes from the Bible. And I'm like, no, that couldn't, that's not, uh, that couldn't be. But I had never really looked at uh, Isaiah 40, 22. And so, uh, so uh, after uh, this guy left, I uh, went to Isaiah 40:22 and I I read it, and sure enough, it says, uh, "It is He that sits upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers." So I'm like, surely Isaiah didn't uh, believe that the earth was in the shape of a 33 and a third LP. So, uh, so I thought, well, maybe the translators uh, just maybe they were a, one of them was a bit dyslexic and uh, used the word circle when he should have used sphere, and nobody noticed, and it got through somehow. So, uh, luckily, I can read a little Paleo Hebrew, and so so I went back to the to the Beric text, right? And so the word the word for uh, circle is hug. And the word for a ball or sphere is door. And so, uh, so I found, to my uh, to my shock and horror, that Isaiah used the word kug. Well, kug is, uh, means circle. So, so you know, sometimes uh, the only prayer that I can muster is I just uh, look up to heaven with a look of confusion on my face and my hands open like. What is going on? Help me out here, Lord. And so, uh, <coughs> so then I remembered. I remembered that in the book of Revelation, John sees four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the winds of the earth, or the winds of war, if you will. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to make that equation, but that's basically what these angels are holding back. So, uh, so I, I knew that John wasn't saying that the earth has four corners, like it's not like a rectangle. I know that. Obviously, he's looking at a map. The point of the text is that uh, this is going to be a worldwide, where these uh, four different ideologies are, are, uh, in conflict with each other, it'll be a worldwide uh, thing, and there's no place to go to get away from it. That's the point of the prophecy. And so, uh, in other words, uh, you better you better get ready for this uh, problem because uh, you can't run anywhere. There's nowhere to run. So you might as well get ready to face it. And we know that that verse in, in, uh, in Revelation is uh, talking about right around our day. It's right towards the end, right? So, uh, and and all you have to do is, is just take a good look around you, and you can see those four ideologies, right? They're all they're all trying to push us in a direction, like the wind tries to push, you know, like the wind can push water in a certain direction. These different, these four different ideologies are trying to, to uh, push people into uh, into conflict, uh, a serious conflict with each other. Uh, one is obviously got to be. I mean, well, okay, I'm just going to take a wild guess here. 
but not wild, or I think it's an educated guess, that one of those ideologies is radical Islam. And uh, another one of those uh, uh, ideologies or those winds that are trying to blow us into conflict is, uh, is uh, the monkey man theory. Hiding behind a garb of science, right? And so, uh, you know, and they they believe well. Since we come from a monkey, why not have abortion? Uh, it's okay to teach children to be gay in school, that sort of stuff. And uh, it can't uh, it can't uh, uh, have unity with those that uh, see those things as uh, not good. And, and then they they also see that. Uh, or this idea that uh, you know, if we if we uh, heat our houses and drive our cars, we're going to uh, suck up all the oxygen, and uh, we're going to have global warming, and and all the CO2 is uh, not going to be handled by the by the boreal forests, and, and so uh, so you have that uh, that ideology that's blowing on the world and forcing uh, people into conflict. Right, and so, and then, then you have the third one, uh, which is, which would be apostate Christianity, which is uh, rampant in, in the states today. It's uh, uh, hides, it aligns itself with Jesus, but it doesn't teach what Jesus teaches. Right? It's, uh, it's kind of like a praise the Lord, pass the ammunition, and uh, it's like the Fourth Reich. Right? They. They, in the name of Christ, are going to go out and they're going to kill radical Islam and they're going to destroy uh, uh, the monkey bath theory and uh, because they are going to use religion to justify that. They're going to use uh, scripture, really, and their own warped, twisted version of scripture to, uh, to destroy uh, everything that opposes it. And uh, then you have the fourth, uh, the fourth wind that's trying to push uh, people into conflict and that's uh, uh, new age uh, new age paganism right the uh, just the old-fashioned religions uh, that came from the Tower of Babel or I should say the old the old spiritual ideologies that trace their roots right back to the Tower of Babel and uh, they have a whole different uh, worldview, and so uh, so they're also in conflict with with these uh, three other uh, winds of the earth, and so uh, so. But John is looking at a map. He's not looking at as as though the earth was in the shape of a rectangle with corners. No. So obviously, obviously, I thought Isaiah must be looking. At, at a map or some symbol of the earth that's in the shape of a circle because most maps are drawn most maps of the earth are drawn in a square or or a, a rectangle but I, I have seen some that were drawn in the shape of a circle the United Nations symbol for example is uh, contains a symbol of the earth in the shape of a of a circle So I thought, well, maybe, maybe when Isaiah was uh, making this prophecy, maybe there was uh, some place where they had a a uh, symbol of the earth in the shape of a circle. I thought, well, 
this is what I thought. I am going to have to uh, uh, choose a cut on this whole chapter. So, uh, so that's what I decided to do. And so, uh, so I started, you know, at the beginning. And the first, uh, I think it's the first two verses. I don't have my Bible with me right now, uh, so I'm going from memory. But uh, the first verse or two is just a preamble. It's like a walk-up to a timeline. And uh, I didn't realize right away that this was a timeline. Isaiah 40 is actually a timeline. It's a prophetic timeline. And actually, it contains all the major events that affected God's people from the days of John the Baptist right down to uh, when Jesus comes the second time, when uh, God's people mount up as eagles with wings. So, uh, so, uh, so, so, uh, I'm not going to focus on the preamble right now. There's some incredible information there, but uh, I just want to focus on the timeline. And so, uh, so it begins with, "Behold, the voice of one in the wilderness, crying, uh, make the paths of the Lord straight. Every uh, hill shall be cut down, and every valley shall be exalted." And so, uh, I might have that backwards there, but uh, that's obviously the message of John the Baptist. And all you have to do is think back to uh, going to uh, a Christmas concert where uh, little Johnny was going to play Joseph for one of the wise men, you know, he had that that beard that uh, my nephew, one nephew there would have this beard with his elastic strap on, and uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll always remember, you know, and he was uh, uh, really uh, seriously practicing his line so that he got it just right. And uh, uh, but a lot of these uh, uh, Christmas pageants started with with that very verse in Isaiah, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and that's the story of John the Baptist, right? That's the prophecy of John the Baptist. Uh, just go to Mark 1, and, uh, you know, you don't have to read very far, and you'll see that the gospel writer uses that uh, verse in Isaiah 40 as evidence of the validity of, of, of the gospel that he's writing, because uh, Isaiah was prophesying of the appearance or the coming of John the Baptist. Behold the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And so... Uh, So uh, where I first started to suspect that this whole verse or this whole chapter is a timeline is because the very next verse talks about the crucifixion and then the Great Commission. Because the next verse says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. So uh, we know what the glory of the Lord is, right? Is the greatest his uh, attribute of which he is is the most uh, uh, proud of is is, uh, is it's in his ancient name, by the way, which is a prophecy in and of itself, because the ancient name of Jehovah is uh, four letters, right? And then the Paleo Hebrew, the first letter is the Aleph, the second letter is the Hey, 
Oh, just just hold on a minute. No, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. The first letter is the the yod. It's a hand-shaped letter. And in the ancient Hebrew alphabet, uh, every every symbol, every alphabet, every letter of their alphabet uh, represented something physical, like a head or a hand or a basket. And so, uh, so the first letter in the name Yehovah is the yod, and it's the symbol of an arm, of a hand. And the next letter is uh, the hay, and the hay is a man standing with his arms raised up, looking surprised. That's the symbol. That's the uh, in the Paleo Hebrew. That's the symbol for uh, hey. And so, uh, and, and then the next letter is the bob. And the bob is a is a is a nail or a spike, and uh, usually usually used to represent like what you would pin a tent to, right? But anything that you fasten to, like a nail or a peg, and so uh, so that's the that's the bob, and then uh, the fourth letter is another hey, another man standing with his arms raised in surprise, and so uh, so the name uh, that is used most for the uh, the deity of the Old Testament is the yod hey bob hey, which means hand look nail look and so his name is a prophecy because this is who he is going to turn out to be this is the attribute of him that he uh, wants us to look at the most and of which he is is the most glorious uh, that he feels is the most glorious of all his attributes is hand look nail look that is his glory, that he was willing to take uh, the crown of thorns because of the stupid things that we allowed to circle in our head. He took the nails to the hands because of the, of the things that we touched that we, we knew we shouldn't touch. He took the, uh, the lash upon the back because that's the lashes for fools, and he took that lash for uh, the foolish things that we did. And, uh, yeah, and he took a nail through the feet because uh, when we were younger, uh, we, we used to walk into places that we shouldn't walk, right? And so uh, so that is the attribute that uh, he is most, uh, that he feels the most glorious about. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Well, we know that the Gospelers uh, went out from uh, from Jerusalem, uh, after the day of Pentecost, and they uh, went to uh, uh, Somalia, Ethiopia, Syria, Egypt. They were soon in China. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all to find uh, if there was uh, evidence found someday that they made it to the shores of Australia and maybe were killed there or uh, whatever, but uh, they made it there. Wouldn't surprise me if that evidence doesn't turn up someday. So, uh, so, the, so the second, uh, the second verse in this prophetic uh, march up to the second coming is uh, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And we know that wherever the gospelers went, they, you know, they uh, usually had some artwork with them. You know, there's uh, a lot of Bibles will have a picture of Jesus on the cross. 
the people that are listening to the message will draw a picture of Jesus on the cross. And so, uh, so all flesh did see it together. You know, everybody in their mind's eye could picture that. And uh, the message went out to the world. All flesh shall see it together. That's the second verse, right? And that's the second event that is uh, of most importance to uh, to God's people, right? The first the first event is John the Baptist. The second one is Christ and the crucifixion, and then the Great Commission. So, uh, but we know what happened next, right? Because wherever the gospelers went, wherever they went, there was usually an already existed uh, priesthood that had uh, serious connections with the king. And so the, uh, the pre-existing uh, religion or uh, spiritual ideology that was there uh, felt threatened by the gospelers because uh, if this uh, religion uh, of Jesus takes over, What's going to happen to the trickles and trickles of pennies and nickels that flow in to the uh, to the pagan priesthood? And so we know that nation after nation after nation began a war on the gospelers. Uh, sometimes they would burn the scriptures. They would uh, kill, uh, execute, uh, slander, and execute. They would sometimes charge them with treason and uh, anything that they could think of. Just <laughs> just to get rid of them and so uh, so that was the next thing that happened and uh, that's the exact next thing that Isaiah talks about because in the next verse he hears a voice and the voice says cry and he says what shall I cry all flesh is grass and the works thereof as the flowers of the field and the Lord shall blow upon them and they shall shrivel. And so uh, so when you take to these nations the gospel, uh, the way to have peace and prosperity with uh, the Creator and the, the messengers get killed off and the message either destroyed or uh, stolen and, and uh, incorporated such that uh, the frauds the that were already there incorporated into uh, and make them the guardians of the message well then then you have uh, you really destroyed yourself as, as a king or as a, as a, a pagan priest you, because now you have committed murder against innocent people in order to protect your, uh, your business your your source of uh, of livelihood, and uh, you have warped your soul in the process. You have become more cruel. You are willing to uh, do more to exploit. You're willing to lie more, and so uh, so you you destroy yourself and you you uh, uh, destroy your nation. You separate your nation from all that uh, Jehovah wanted to give. Right, so. Uh, so God, the only thing that's left is uh, for God, when you reject all the blessings, the only thing that's left is cursing. And so God blows upon 
uh, the grass and it withers, and the works of the field wither. And so, uh, like when when it talks about the works of the, or the flowers of the field, that's like uh, you know some of the art that was created in Egypt and Greece, and some of the math that was worked out, and some of the history, and all that withers up and and just kind of uh, uh, disappears or seems to disappear becomes something that you might slip into a book and store it, you know, like a dead flower. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's exactly what happened. And that's the beginning of the Dark Ages, right? What happens when the Gospelers go into these nations and then they eventually get attacked uh, and the message eventually destroyed or uh, hijacked? Uh the only thing that God can then do is to curse, and so uh, and and and, and uh, nation after nation after nation entered into the dark ages, and so uh, so that verse is actually talking about the beginning of the dark ages. But uh, we also know that uh, there were those brave souls that with the. Uh, the Gospelers were being uh, uh, martyred and the scripture being destroyed. They uh, put their life at uh, great risk and made tremendous sacrifice to ensure that the scripture survived. Uh, some of them crossed mountains. I think the Walden Seas uh, uh, crossed the mountains and found little valleys in which they could... Uh, Establish themselves, and uh, they would then write out portions of uh, scripture, and then take them back into uh, into these dark nations. Sometimes these uh, little colonies of Walden Seas were hunted down and uh, slaughtered, and uh, in different places there were those that. At any cost to themselves, uh, did whatever they could to ensure that the scripture remained intact. And so, uh, and so, wonder of wonders, the scripture, the scripture survives the dark ages. And so, the next verse says, "All flesh is grass, and all flesh withers, but the word of our Adonai is for forever." And so, uh, so that's the next, uh, the next big event on the timeline is that the Dark Ages now are being exposed for what they were, a period of uh, great cursing and war and disease because, because these nations had rejected the original gospel. And you can read about how, uh, how uh, the original gospel was... Uh, was subverted, first of all, well, maybe not first of all, but especially in Rome, right? Where eventually the Pope come to the to the place where he viewed himself as God on earth, and anyone that wouldn't kiss his toe uh, was a heretic and would be burned at the stake. Can you imagine making yourself so, so important that somebody that will not get down and kiss your toe gets burned at the stake? Can you think of anything more arrogant than that? And uh, their writings were such that uh, uh, 
that they wrote themselves as being actually above God, because not only could they make a law that was different from God, they could reach over and rewrite God's law. And so if you could rewrite the law of somebody else, that makes you actually above them. And they actually presented themselves as being above God. And so, uh, but the interesting thing is that the scripture itself contained the prophecies of this power that would uh, exalt itself above uh, the Most High and speak great words against him and uh, uh, wear out his saints, right? And they did. They, they, wore, they wore out the people of God. I, uh, they probably... Uh, we're so so uh, downpressed for so long that uh, they no longer had people that could emulate how to live, how to live as a follower of Christ, exactly as, as the originals had. It had all been uh, subjected to such abuse that uh, it was a it was a, it was a uh, it was the message, but the people that could have communicated it perfectly had been uh, marred and worn out. And you can read about that in Daniel. I, I can't remember the verse right now. But, uh, yeah, so so, so what this verse is saying is that the word of, of God is going to survive this period of, of, of cursing and darkness where, uh, where the Lord blows all flesh is grass and the Lord blows on it all because they rejected. They rejected Christ and the message. The true message, the original message, which, by the way, has yet to be completely restored. That's uh, one of my missions is to get that done before uh, they get me. So, uh, 